The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. Joining me this week is Steven Schleicher. Hello. And published author Rodrigo Lopez. Hey, man. What's up, everyone? Not, Not a much. whole lot. Rodrigo, it's been a while since you've been on the show. Yeah, what was What's the last up with thing that? I was on? I don't know. I think I think um, the end of the tour just, like, killed me. And then I it was just too much? You couldn't handle yeah, it? I, actually, no. I think we did Beast of No Nation. So. Oh, oh did yeah. You, were you on Beast of No Nation? I don't yeah. know. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a heavy one. Yeah, it was. Uh, this week, a little bit different movie. We are talking Spike Lee's... Chirac. And to lead into this, I want to give a, a quick read of Justin Chang from Variety. He's the film uh, uh, chief film critic over there. And this is how he started his review of the film uh, last month. It may not take much to make Spike Lee angry, but there's no denying he gives us reasons and then summons Chirac, a sprawling, blistering State of the Union address that, rep- that presents Chicago's South Side as a cesspool of black-on-black violence, gang warfare, gun worship, and macho misogyny ruled by unbreakable cycles of poverty and oppression. All that social outrage clearly demanded similarly outsized treatment, and Lee and co-writer Kevin Wilmot have found a remarkably accommodating vessel in Aristophanes' uh, Lysistrata, whose tale of an ancient Greek heroine leading an anti-war sex strike has been updated here as an alternately soulful and scalding, playful and deadly serious 21st century oratorio. And then he went on to tuck the review by... uh, Sometimes I just love people, how they write film reviews, and I loved how he came into that. And I thought it gave a great starting point for our discussion of Spike Lee's Chirac, which is from Amazon Studios. Yeah, this, that, this is their first one. Yeah. This is their first movie release for Amazon Studios. And I was really surprised by that. I mean, um, mm-hmm. obviously we knew about it, but just seeing the Amazon Studios logo come up at the beginning, I was like, right. oh, okay. Right. And I haven't read their, I had their full article, but I saw a headline from, I think, Hollywood Reporter of Variety today saying that at Sundance this year, Amazon Studios and Netflix were yeah, the they, biggest buyers. Yeah, they have the, the most stuff there. Yeah, so uh, very interesting turn of the tables uh, for that. This movie has been out, I think, on... Uh, it's been on, out for about a month in theaters at a very limited release. Yeah, it's only it, had like... Um, oh, man, they've only brought in like $300,000 yeah. from theatrical release. Yeah. I don't know how much they've gotten... Through, uh, oh, I'm sorry, 305 theaters, $1.2 million is how much it's grossed. So, uh, yeah, and, but then it, it swiftly came out on digital, obviously Amazon Studios, and then it ended up on iTunes uh, fairly quickly as mm-hmm. well, which is where I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, as uh, what I read from Variety kind of led into this, uh, Spike Lee's newest film, Chirac, is an adaptation from Aristophanes' Lysistrata. Uh, from 411 BC, telling the story of a woman who institutes a stri- sex strike by uh, bringing together the women to so they can stop the Peloponnesian War. And now he's uh, taking that story and taking it to uh, the south side of Chicago to do some very uh, upfront and blunt social critiques of what's happening in Chicago and nationwide. 
Uh, what was your, your first thought of this, Rodrigo? Uh, my first thought, um, I, I guess my first thought is, uh, was this is not the best lyric uh, video that I've ever seen, <laughs> but it's not bad. Because um, we do get the entirety of that song up front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's very similar uh, to uh, the opening of, um, was it Do the Right Thing, I think, is where they had, or which one had Rosie Perez dancing? Do the Right Thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's almost exactly mm-hmm. like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, Spike Lee-isms in this, you know, up front, play an entire song, have a surprising amount of musical numbers in it, because if you've seen, uh, like, She's Gotta Have It and stuff, it's like, what is this doing here? Okay, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, I thought it was very slick. I thought it was it came from a very earnest place. Definitely, that's the, I, I guess like my immediate thoughts are are those. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen, what did you think of uh, like the first scene uh, with Samuel L. Jackson comes on and kind of sets the stage, at least for the dialogue in the film? Yeah, I, I mean, I really like it. I mean, because. It, even though it is a modern adaptation, they kept the same rhyme and pattern mm-hmm. of the um, of the source material, which I found very interesting. Mm. And to have Samuel L. Jackson and then the old men and the old women serving as the chorus throughout the piece, right. I thought was really, really a nice uh, a nice way to present the idea. Yeah, I uh, had never uh, read Lysistrata, but I was familiar with uh, you know old Greek stuff, and we've read in high school. Um, so I at first was a little off guard because I think I wasn't completely paying attention yet when uh, uh, through Samuel Jackson's uh, initial dialogue and then just immediately goes into a long rap scene essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then eventually we start getting the characters talk uh, and Aubrey wasn't paying attention. She's like, why do people don't really talk like that? What are they doing? I was like, no, I think they're, the th- I think we missed something. I think they're doing a thing. We'll just go with it. Um, but we've seen people do this before. Um, Boz Lerman did it in Romeo and Juliet when he updated it yeah. with Leo DiCaprio. Um, I'm trying to think of that, anything uh, recently. I mean, that's, I mean, um, uh, there was a Richard III did it when they updated that. Mm. Um, and there were, there have been a couple others where they kept the same type of delivery of the right. source so material. That's, that's what's interesting. You do see that in Shakespeare adaptations, and definitely Baz uh, Lerman's uh, Romeo and Juliet is probably the biggest one we can point to where they mm-hmm. keep the same language, maybe chop it up a little um, and then use kind of modern visuals and, and, and uh, relationships to kind of like between the words and, and whatever to, to, to show new stuff. But this play is like, or this movie, it's like modern parlance in that like mm-hmm. can't, so, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, with that scheme. So it's not like they're not using Aristophanes words, not word for word. Um, there's a lot of stuff that gets like thrown in here, but the characters still kind of speak in that. Um, I, I don't think it's iambic pentameter, but it's something, no, it's uh, not something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has a rhyme and a rhythm to it. Do you, do you think it worked well in updating the language to modern times, but then keeping that scheme instead of, uh, you know, what we've seen like in Romeo and Juliet, keeping that original language. Do you think it still worked and adapted well to the 21st century? It's interesting because, you know, you mentioned um, Samuel L. Jackson at the beginning and he comes out and he has a speech. He has a presentation. If you think back to do the right thing, he does the almost the exact same thing as the DJ mm-hmm. uh, for the neighborhood and what's going on there. And he's talking about it and he's, he's using that. Um, so I think that there's, you know, obviously some similarities there because of the way that it's presented. Mm-hmm. Most modern audiences are very familiar with lyrical speech, whether it be through rap or rock or whatever. I don't think that the, the delivery method uh, in the, the speaking pattern, I don't think that that, hinders the message mm-hmm. um and it is something that a lot of people would recognize very easily because mm-hmm. it is i i think from some people it can be uh a turnoff of dialogue when they uh you know they they stretch the boundaries of what how people normally talk and how right. they converse but this wasn't but this isn't that way though i mean 
if you look at this as a spoken word mm-hmm. rap, that's how this story is is played out mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't have a problem with uh, following along with it. Rodrigo, did you? I did not. And I think, you know, that sort of um, uh, that kind of meter and rhyme using uh, things that we associate with older stuff, especially, you know, you know, super old Greeks plays, which is where where drama comes from. Um, it has this um, effect that it really, if done properly, and I think uh, Chirac does it properly, it really elevates the work, right? It really makes it seem like it is important and valid, uh, which is something that, you know, the uh, plight of the modern urban black person desperately needs in the media. Mm. Uh, one thing that I found uh, a little off to to my ears through it was not in the dialogue, but some with the soundtrack. I felt like there we would get like the beginning, you know, they go to a rap song, very beginning, uh, you get a little mm-hmm. bit of dialogue and then Nick Cannon performs another rap uh, on stage. And then you get into moments of like Lysistrata and out uh, in the character and you have kind of a quote classical soundtrack, you know, orchestral piece underneath it. And those kind of run throughout. And I felt it was an to me, it felt like it was a weird juxtaposition of when we were jumping between musical styles, and and I, and I at times I thought maybe it was just a mixing and that was just too much, and they didn't they didn't subtly play it. Uh, but did anyone else have I mean that thought while watching it? Um, not really. I mean, I thought that the I thought that they, as Rodrigo said at the beginning of the movie, you're playing the whole song and then you almost immediately go almost into that exact same song all over again. Yeah, and. This is something that Spike Lee has done before where he will play the entire or have the entire song run as part of the soundtrack while you're mm-hmm. seeing the montage of the city streets as they're trying to track down who killed uh, the little girl. Um, these kinds of things, which I think are, would work fine. I think you kind of pointed out where if um, Lissa Strada is is talking and her music is different from maybe another character that the music then is being used as a narrative as mm-hmm. here's how these how this group is being portrayed by music and how this group is being portrayed by music. So in that sense, I, I don't have a problem with it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Spike Lee's um, involvement was with the music. Cause there's some controversy around uh, the musical in here where they basically had submissions where people could submit the music to be included in the movie. Mm-hmm. And the person who was in charge of the music was charging people to submit their stuff. Wow. And I yeah. missed that story. And so when that fell out, um, the guy was was fired. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what did yeah. you think about the soundtrack in this, Rodrigo? Uh, it was, it, I mean, it was, it was interesting. And I think uh, basically the soundtrack was kind of trying to hold all of these ideas together, right? You have modern urban Chicago and that sounds a certain way and then you have kind of ancient Greek uh, comedy which sounds a different way nobody in the audience is going to know what that sounds like so we'll do something classical to evoke that Mm -hmm. which is what we're familiar with right you don't hear a lot of Greek music in this Um, but uh, yeah so I think you know sometimes the kind of like the hard bounce back and forward between musical styles is something that just kind of um, echoes what the movie is going through because I feel that the movie actually kind of goes through some like serious tonal switches yeah. um, throughout. And uh, to me, that uh, was sometimes a little jarring. Mm. Uh, so let's talk about a little bit more of the story. I got some of that stuff out of the way. Uh, sure. Shirek is a, a story that is all about the violence in Chicago. It is pitting these two gangs, the, oh my God, I forget them, Spartans and Trojans against each other. Uh, who how, they, could, how could you forget it? It's based on a Greek play. Well, I know. Spartans and Trojans going obviously. each other. Uh, Nick Cannon is the lead of the, I'm going to guess, I believe it was the Spartans. And then uh, Wesley Snipes with an eye patch is the gang leader of And he is, of his the name Trojans. is? Cyclops. Okay. Yes. Uh, 
And Nick Cannon's name, uh, there is a story element, his real name, but he goes by Chirac throughout uh, the piece. Uh, so gangs hate each other. They're fighting all the time. Uh, I think the story really starts picking up speed uh, when a little girl is shot in a drive-by shooting. And then that is when uh, the people come to, or Lysistrata brings the women together and they start their sex strike to try and end the violence uh, in Chicago and which then spreads to the rest of the world. And it kind of plays out from there and a lot of different uh, strings and threads of the story kind of interwine through that. Uh, Rodrigo, you said you had some issues with some tonal shifts were out. Can you describe when those were happening for you? Oh, sure. Uh, so uh, there's basically two moments in which really kind of took me out of it. Um, the first one is uh, John Cusack's like big diatribe mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. funeral, right? Right. Um, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not in rhyme. It's not in that can't, right? Mm-hmm. Like he just starts talking like a normal person would and not at all like a strange Greek comedy uh, personage. Um, and then we go right back and then later on you hear him talk that way. So it's not like he's the only person that doesn't talk that way or anything. Right. Um, and that was jarring. Uh, the other time really is uh, after the women take over the armory, um, it's kind of uh, hilarious. And the rest of the movie up until the very end is played very much like a comedy, even though the first, I don't know, third of the movie is very serious, very, very serious. Um, the last two thirds of the movie up until basically, uh, Chirac's, the person's, uh, trial at the very end, um, it's, it's, it's all very much seems to be played for laughs. Which is, which is, I think, really the big problem mm-hmm. with the movie overall. Um, when we talk comedy, comedy is a broad range of things, right? Sure. This is, as the subcategory where this belongs, is satire, mm-hmm. right? Where they're trying to use humor to discuss a super serious subject, um, poke at officials, poke at uh, people involved, those kinds of things. Um, but unfortunately, it comes off, as Rodrigo said, as it just comes off as a comedy. And in some places, it really comes off as a farce, which is, again, another subset of mm-hmm. comedy. Um, all satire is comedy. Not all comedy is satire. And um, I watched a video. It was part of the iTunes bit. I don't know if you watched the mm-hmm. behind the scenes stuff where Spike Lee is basically saying, look, we want to make sure that people know that this is satire and not comedy. And it's weird that in this four minute behind the scenes stuff. That's the main thing that they want that that Spike Lee says in that entire piece. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I don't think I mean, this is the problem when we look at um, Dr. Strangelove uh, and other political satire pieces is people miss. The political part and they focus on the comedy part. Mm -hmm. And I think because. Audiences may not be super keen on the difference between comedy and satire or, you know, where they fall within one another. I think a lot of the message is lost because there's too much. There's too much silliness going on. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think the the issue with this movie is fundamental. It is at the very core of the pitch for the movie. If you're going to do an updated version of Lysistrata set anywhere then you have to treat it like what it is, which is a comedy. It is basically the prototype for modern comedy. I mean, Lysistrata was like uh, a new version of comedy when it first came out, basically back in like 400 or whatever. Um, and it, you know, it's a comedy. It's a raunchy comedy at that. Oh yeah. In, in, and in the play, there's a guy that comes on towards the end and he's just got this, he's, it says in the play, he's carrying a heavy load and it's, yeah, his, I was reading, I, 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 I spark noted, this is Toronto, oh, okay. and they went over that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean that all of that stuff, it's like, um, 
Like if you've ever read an annotated version of Lysistrata, it's like constant annotations because it's constantly making like all of these little like jabby cultural references from, you know, a thousand mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's the source material is kind of a farce. Um, I mean, farce in the uh, theatrical sense, not, not necessarily, not in the like, this is bad sense. Right, right, right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, so to then attach this very serious, like message driven project to Lysistrata is a big issue because yeah, it just you, it misses you, the mark. If you don't know what's going to happen in the movie, if you don't know going in what Lysistrata, the movie or the, the play is and what this movie is going to attempt to do, the moment that the women basically upend the world by being sexy over there just like is just a massive tonal uh, mm-hmm. shift. I mean, it just changes things on you. Like you can do a movie about a sex strike that actually isn't a comedy. You can do a movie, you can do a version of Lysistrata set in the South side of Chicago. Um, that is a comedy, but trying to bring all of this stuff together, all of the political message and the like looking straight at the camera, this is what's happening to us stuff and merging it with Lysistrata means that at different times, this movie is different movies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, that's what I think it's biggest failing is, as I said, it, if it, if audiences don't understand what's going on, it's lost and and that's the biggest shame, I think, in the movie is that somebody's going to look at this and think of it as a haha comedy. It's light humor when it's not. Mm-hmm. I know uh, there has been some criticism of the film from uh, some Chicagoans, uh, namely uh, Chance the Rapper. Uh, if you guys are familiar, he's from Chicago. And uh, when I think it was the trailer came out or the f- movie first came out, he started tweeting about it. And he. Um, Pretty much said, uh, I'll just read what he said. You're just going to have to deal with some, a little bit of cursing. Uh, that shit gets zero love out here. Shit is goofy. And it's a bunch of people from not around here telling you how to, telling you to support that. The people that made that shit don't go, uh, didn't do so to save life. It's exploitative and problematic. Mm. Um, and Chance is a pretty big guy. He just got Chicago one of the year. Like last year, he helps those kids. And uh, I think he's from the South Side. Uh, Lee responded to him, not in the vein of, this is a satire uh, of the thing. He just said that Chance was biased because his father is Rahm Emanuel's deputy chief of staff. Well, Ooh. that is interesting. Wait, it is, it is, it is interesting because yeah. because the just the the name Chirac, which a lot of people in Southside right. apparently call Chicago, um, but it is a it's a stain. It's a bad mm-hmm. name for the city itself. Many people consider it that uh, right. as a bad stain. And when Lee revealed the title of the film. The city was like, no, you can't call mm-hmm. it that. We'd prefer you don't use that. If you do use that, we're going to take away all the tax credits mm-hmm. that we did. And that was the Chicago mayor, uh, Rahm Emanuel. Lee called him a bully yeah. and called all the uh, the Chicago eldermen bootlickers because of that decision to do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's no love lost between Spike Lee no. and the city council and, and people who no. supposedly were giving uh, tax credits to make sure that the film was shot entirely in Chicago. Right. And uh, I know in an, I can't remember what the interview was, I think it was MSNBC, Spike said when he, they met with Rahm Emanuel before and he said that they didn't want him to use that name just because it would hurt tourism mm-hmm. and give the city a bad image, mm-hmm. which... Uh, I don't know if this movie necessarily gave the bad image, but it kind of, I mean, it is pointing out a serious issue in Chicago. Right. Uh, with the violence that is happening. Um, other people came out against it. Another rapper named Vic Mensa came out against it and he was not happy with uh, his depiction of the city and what how Spike Lee did it. That one's interesting. Spike never addressed that one, but people online did because... Uh, if you'll recall in the very first scene with Nick Cannon, when he comes out on stage and is rapping, mm-hmm. there is another guy on stage in like a gray shirt who has mm-hmm. like some like yellow tipped hair. Uh, that's actually Vic Mensa mm. on stage with him. Who's also a rapper from Chicago. So people were calling him like, well, if you have such a big issues with this, why were, yeah. why were you in it? Why, why are you in the movie? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, you don't know, right? Right. You, he, you don't know, know if like, what he uh, was. How, like Jim Carrey, like try to distance himself from, um, 
from Kick-Ass 2 after it, right. after he had been in it, after he had like a very important character in it. So do you think that Spike Lee tried to do too much with this? Because I had that thought going through it, because I think he's he's is addressing a lot of different uh, social messages throughout the entire film. There's some main ones, but he addresses them handily and is making almost up to the year references of yeah. issues that yeah. are happening, which really blew me away on how, when he was just dropping in names of any you know, of these incidents that have happened. Right. Uh, I mean, just in a year, but it could have been, I mean, he had to be updating the script essentially when stuff would happen because they were that relevant. Um, do, do you think he, he just tried to do too much? And I'm not necessarily think he did, but there was just a lot in here that he was trying to address. Um, I, again, because of the nature of satire, if he's going to go up and down the chain of everyone from the low to the high mm-hmm. and then incorporate the world. Yeah, I think I think it from that standpoint, I think it works. I don't think he tried to bite off more than he could chew. I'm just not sure that. Satire was the best way to talk about this subject, mm. right? I mean, you look at something like school days, that's comedy. That works when you're talking about race relations, especially among uh, in the college uh, area. I think that that's fine. But when we look at something like do the right thing, that's not a comedy. And it's addressing something head on in a very straight way that I thought was very powerful and very meaningful. Mm-hmm. I think this just I mean, I I know what's what he's talking about. I'm sure most of the audience knows what he's talking about, but it just seems to be off target for some reason mm-hmm. to me. Mm. Yeah, I th- I think um again that like there's kind of nothing wrong with it but um it I feel that the message does kind of get conflicted because it's also an adaptation of Lysistrata. Um you know on top of being this movie about violence in Chicago or or violence in the United States, you know mm-hmm. because again you know, stuff gets addressed, the military industrial complex, the like uh, prison complex, mm-hmm. the NRA, all of these things get thrown in here. And it's well, yeah. kind of fine if that's what your movie's about. But also this movie tries to be a pretty tight adaptation of the play, which means there are scenes in which people are like discussing it. And it's funny because the play's a comedy, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like. If you think of something like, oh, brother, where art thou? Which is a, an adaptation of the Odyssey. Um, it is a very loose adaptation of the Odyssey. And that's why it's a comedy, unlike the Odyssey. Um, I think this is something that could have benefited from a lighter draw from the source material. Mm-hmm. To kind of maybe... Uh, not have like, oh, in this scene, there's this chorus of old men and chorus of old women. And like suddenly, you know, Demetrius walks out and he sees the fates before him kind of stuff. It's like that stuff didn't necessarily need to be in there unless that's what you're going for. Unless you want to do a blow by blow adaptation of a Greek play set in the south side of Chicago. But if what you want is to draw attention to these conflicts then the thousand-year-old play is going to get in your way. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, I, I say it's on target, but I mean, if you're looking at a bullseye, this is like to the right of the bullseye by yeah. quite a bit. I mean, it's not off to the edge, but I mean, it's a, so, it's, a, it's a solid attempt. And so, you know, we've seen Spike Lee try to do a lot of different things. Or do, I shouldn't say try. He does do a, little, a lot of different things to try to experiment to see what he can do and stretch his legs while still being focused on the messages that he wants to get across. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that this missed the mark completely. I just don't think it, I, I think that there would be a better way to address violence in, in Chicago or wherever else. I think there's a better way to do it. Mm -hmm. And I just, so much of the time I was sitting there going, why is it being told this way? This doesn't make sense to be using this method to tell this message Mm -hmm. and it in the end i think it's a good film i don't think it's a great film Mm. i think it's an okay film is it one of spike lee's best films no i don't think it is that um so 
yeah, something we haven't really talked to just because I think the, the, the what he's trying to do with the violence uh, is such a really a pivotal part of the play. But uh, the adaptation is all about the sex strike that Lysistrata, um, it, it puts on and he gathers a woman to do this. Um, so what did you think about just, uh, so that was essentially, I think the funniest part where the comedy really came in, uh, mm-hmm. for that. Do you think that played out well in just that aspect? Did you think that kind of worked? Was it believable? Did, um, I don't know. What do you think about uh, let's just start with the, the character, the actress? Well, there's a couple of questions there. Well, I know because I didn't know where I was going with it. Um, is the All withholding right, so, sex yeah. the withholding sex to control? Yeah, P two, you know, no, no pussy, no peace. Mm-hmm. Does that work in this in this piece yeah. in this film in this world? Of course it does. Yeah. Um, the character of Lysistrata has a very weird and sudden awakening yeah from a character where she's going from Chirac's boyfriend and the woman across the street who she does not know um her house gets burned down and so suddenly she moves in this woman and instantly she's ready to go on this crusade without really going through a change process mm-hmm. in in my opinion uh the actress um What's what's her name? Um, Tiana Paris. Tiana Paris. I thought she was fine. Mm. Um, I don't know what else. I don't know if I've seen her in anything else. Uh, I saw her in Dear White People. Which oh, right, out, right, right. Well, a little bit ago. She was really good in that. Okay. Um, she was fine. Yeah. I, I, I really didn't have a problem with um, any of the acting. I think because of the way that the pieces are delivered at times, the acting feels stiff or it feels forced. Mm-hmm. But that is more in the delivery of the rhyme than the actor's ability to emote feeling or anything through that. So Mm -hmm. from those things, I don't have a problem with any of that. Rodrigo. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Funny movie about a sex sex strike definitely works. Only mostly hindered by the first third of the movie. But if you, if you get dropped in right at the point where that guy's like, I know how we'll smoke him out. We'll play him slow jams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's a pretty effective comedy. Um, that, and you know, they change the world, you know, right down to like that, like super weird thing at the end where they're like, and all of the Fortune 500 companies have agreed to hire everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. As a comedy, that part works but again it's kind of swimming in an, a vast ocean of a bunch of other stuff right and that's an issue um as far as uh tiana Paris, i think she does a great job um you know Liz Estrada as a character i will agree that um basically helen tells her this stuff and she's like you know what this seems like a good idea and then she's the main crusader for it mm-hmm. and that's maybe not the most believable thing but now, granted, um, granted, there is a scene where she's walking down the street and there's the dead child. That's how we're introduced to the to the main right. conflict. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of upset because there are no witnesses. But she sits down with Miss Helen, played by Angela Bass, and she's like, oh, is that your daughter? And you kind of get the feeling that the daughter's dead, but there's nothing right. in the conversation between right. Miss Helen and and uh, Lysistrata that is provoking enough to make a radical change in this person. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, that's uh, not the strongest turn, not the most obvious turn, but it's there. I mean, again, you know, you're talking about people that live in like pretty extreme conditions within the United States. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really not that crazy for her to be like, you know what, we need to do something about this, you know, to be convinced to do something about this. Uh, But I think uh, Tiana Paris does a great job. Um, She has a real physicality that's very cool. Um, You know, she basically has to perform that oath Mm -hmm. um, that the women swear. And it's super cool. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, There's like, uh, I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff that you're always kind of drawn to her, not just because the cinematography is very good, uh, but you know, there's like her as an actress, she just has like a real spark to her. I felt mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a character arc that I thought was strange and 
not I don't I don't feel like it paid off very well was Nick Cannon's Chirac character. I felt that the twist at the end when it was revealed that he killed the girl was telegraphed the moment the girl died and Lissa Star looked at the girl and like there was no witnesses and she right. just kind of looked at her and just like yeah. walked away. I'm like, yeah, because, oh, okay, well, well, I know how this is going to play out. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was that twist of his, the reveal of his name and his father who also right. gang member who realized that you don't kill children or bystanders. And if you do, you beg mm-hmm. forgiveness and you, you accept, turn yourself in. yeah, you turn yourself yeah. in and accept the, the change. I think that mm-hmm. was probably the most interesting part of that final act yeah. where Chirac is just like, no, I'm not signing this piece of cord. Screw it, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Did you, did you think, uh, Cannon did a decent job acting? I can't even remember if I've ever, ever really seen him act before or if there's anything I've actually would have seen him in. I, I mean, I think he does fine. Uh, but we don't spend a lot of time with them. Like, no, he this, this dip- is very much this is very much Liz Estrada's movie, and he disappears for a long time. It's like we almost we basically see almost as much of Cyclops as we do him. Yeah, you know, maybe not quite, but yeah. I mean, this is and and again, it's one of those one of the many things that's kind of a crossed wire in this movie is like this is an adaptation of Liz Estrada. So Liz Estrada is the main character, right? Mm-hmm. But the movie is called Shy Rack, and you're like, okay, well, it's a reference to what they call Chicago, but it's like, no, also the main character is named Shy Rack. Right. But this is not his movie. This is his girlfriend's movie. And also, he's right? top build in the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, sure, but you're gonna he, have he get the, he get the I mean, name thing. I'm 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 surprised John Cusack isn't the top build here because that's that was, just that's just Hollywood, right? That is the yeah. weirdest. It's the weirdest casting part of the movie, I think. John Cusack. John yeah. Cusack. Because John Cusack having swallowed like a handful of gravel. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, he I don't know. It, it's just the weirdest, the weirdest thing. And especially in his delivery as he's a Catholic priest. Doing a bap, you know, what would you would imagine would be Southern Baptist presentation mm. at a funeral that's. Again, it doesn't seem appropriate for a funeral. It's just it was the weirdest scene in the whole movie was that thing. It was powerful. It was interesting, mm-hmm. but it was just weird mm. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because it, it introed that whole scene with like a full musical number. Right. And yeah. then and then the I mean, I don't know. I have some ideas of why Spike Lee may have wanted to cast a white actor in well, this it's, role. It's based off of a a real uh, person in oh, Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Now do his attendants wear crusader um, markings and emblems on their clothing? That I'm not sure of, but I can look it up really quick. Okay. The, like the beginning of the film, when they're doing the statistics yeah, yeah. and the, the voice over the beginning, Oh, okay. that's the character or the human oh, okay. John Cusack's okay. actually playing. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing that is why. Okay. Uh, no, that's that's he fine. Him like that. No, no, that's fine. Well, and it, it makes sense. And also, I think again, this movie is, let's say, direct when it's basically telling you this is this movie's message, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think it, it, it makes sense to basically be like, okay, well, while we're at it. Here's kind of what a white ally to a black cause looks like, right? He's concerned about the government. He's not pulling any punches. He's not saying, well, we'll take care of this later, but let's focus on this other thing first. He's not sugarcoating it. He's not doing anything. He's saying like, yes, your plight is real. Your problems are real. All this stuff is real. Nobody's saying like, or like anybody who says they're not is in the pocket of some other guy, right? It's kind of like putting this, putting those words to a white person gives it uh, is, is, is an example to white people of kind of mm-hmm. how to be um, allies to the, the plight of, mm-hmm. of uh, you know, uh, the people of color that said, it does happen as he severely railroads a child's funeral. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like on top of that, it's like, well, maybe this is what would happen. Well, I was just curious because, you know, his attendants, the, the, his quote unquote bodyguards are sure. wearing the 
crusader cross mm-hmm. on their clothing, mm-hmm. very much like the crusaders who would swoop in and try to um, uh, appropriate uh, a whole region for their religious sure, purposes. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that's, I mean, in my mind, as I'm watching this and I see that, I'm like, oh, is he trying to say John Cusack is trying to appropriate, which he does in that scene, mm. appropriate the cause for his own means? Mm. I don't know. It it was the it was the it was the most interesting scene and the weirdest scene in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talked about do the right thing uh, way back when, mm-hmm. almost the beginning of Zach on film, uh, one of our big discussions was on spike lee's use of color throughout the piece um we get a little bit of that i feel like similarities with spartans and trojans with the orange and purple which get played out throughout most of the film do you think he used colors in any other ways that is reminiscent of uh do the right thing because that movie was just red on top of red on top of red the whole thing um do you see any similar color palettes like that uh or other clothing coloration I, I really didn't notice it that much because it really? was everything seemed to be a very muted toned down uh stuff i mean mm-hmm. uh the obvious colors of the trojans and the spartans the purple and the orange mm-hmm. is probably the the thing that would stand out the most but the yeah. city of chicago does not i mean it has a dull color um maybe uh-huh. maybe that's how you're supposed to feel maybe that's how the citizens feel mm-hmm. is they've been dulled to all of this stuff uh I don't know. I, I just didn't really see anything there. Yeah. There's kind of this um, drab, like literal, like olive drab change to the women as they join the cause. And basically when they take over the armory, they're kind of wearing ca- camo stuff. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and they go from wearing their gang colors to wearing that stuff kind of uh, unified. Um and then at the end, you know, everybody's wearing white except for uh, Chirac. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like an overwhelming amount of people wearing uh, white and then one guy in purple, right? So <laughs> right. there's obviously that's that that probably right there was the moment when I'm like, here is a filmmaker using color to make a statement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, some... Interesting casting choices, I thought. Uh, Wesley Snipes was in there. He played mm-hmm. a very interesting uh, character, I thought, especially in his his vocal cues were yeah. all over the place. Which was, I think it was, uh, again, there's like, there are all of these fun, interesting, cool things about this oh, yeah. movie that kind of yeah. don't play out. Yeah. I wanted to see more of Wesley Snipes doing <laughs> that guy. Yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to see an actual confrontation between those two where you know nick cannon is playing it all like tough straight up gangster and you know cyclops is this kind of like <laughs> kind of the, the only time that the only time we get that is when uh cyclops is driving away from the burning house at the beginning at, when they're interacting yeah. with oh, one yeah. another yeah, yeah. well he has a he has a conversation with uh you know uh, amazingly dave, dave Chappelle. Chappelle. Yeah, oh my right. god when he awesome. showed up i was like holy crap yeah, there's dave I, Chappelle's <laughs> in this movie yeah, I had no idea that he was going to be in the movie. And when I saw him, basically, I saw him and I'm like, is that? And then he started talking. And Dave mm-hmm. Chappelle has a very recognizable voice. I was like, oh, my God, that's Dave Chappelle. <laughs> is this the first thing he's done? Yeah, probably, probably in a long time. I, I'm just I was really saying, oh, well, if he's got Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. maybe Chris Rock is going to be in this. Maybe maybe Eddie Murphy would show up in this mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. I mean, I could really see Eddie Murphy playing the uh, lieutenant mayor um the guy that was really kind of straight laced the guy that was trying to uh, control everything and Mm -hmm. try to stop the situation i could see eddie murphy playing that character Mm. but yeah seeing dave Chappelle was really cool in this yeah Uh, yeah according to imdb this is the first thing he's done since like 2007 wow Wow. uh and then we over john cusack's kind of uh smallest role and then jennifer hudson played yeah uh a, a, a really important role mm-hmm. in the film. It wasn't huge, but it was very important. Um, which I found is interesting. I didn't know Jennifer Hudson was from Chicago. And in watching that um, iTunes behind the scenes stuff, that uh, her whole family, uh, or not her whole family, but three members of her family were killed in Chicago mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, through violence. So 
Uh, obviously, some personal uh, stuff went into this film for her as well. Um, so, overall, Stephen, you said you didn't think it's uh, a, this movie stacked up. It's quite a well. good movie. Yeah, it's not a great movie. Yeah, I I thought it was very interesting in its delivery and in using uh, the Lysistrata story to kind of go about it. Aubrey watched it with me and she thought it was really interesting just I think from the uh the dialogue and how it kind of played out and I she didn't think it was great by any stretch of means but when she described it to her parents later she's like well it was really interesting yeah, yeah. and I, I think it's worth a watch uh, you know last week I talked about um the big short yeah and how it's a weird movie but it's a movie that you probably ought to see because of the way that they're presenting information mm-hmm. in a way that a typical film narrative is not presented in right this movie is the exact same way it's a very good it's a good movie a very good movie but i think even though the message may be lost in places seeing how a modern adaptation of this greek play is being done i think is very fascinating and Mm -hmm. how they use the elements from the comedy in this i think is really well done and for a modern satire i think it's very well done so from that side i I really do think that people should check it out um because of what is what they're attempting to do in the movie just like with the big short Mm. uh and so what do you what do you would you recommend this movie to anyone rodrigo i would um just kind of depends i think there's essentially a few groups of people that would be super into this movie. Obviously, Spike Lee fans. I think, mm-hmm. you know, people who are into Greek plays, I'd be like, hey, do you ever see Spike Lee's adaptation of Lysistrata? <laughs> like, because it is that. And and honestly, it, it tends to kind of trip over itself because it's trying to do two things. But it's kind of weirdly effective at both of those things. The mm-hmm. problem is that those two things pull the movie in two separate directions right Mm. so i mean that's fundamentally the only problem that i had with this movie um i think it looks great i think the acting is good i think the messages are good i think the idea of adapting this play and setting it in uh uh chicago is a great idea i think the use of the term chirac as a title is great it's strong it's controversial Mm -hmm. it's you know it it is problematic but it's kind of that like is this like yeah it's like we're addressing a problem sort of problematic right um it's kind of what you want um you know and the problem is is that it just kind of pulls itself in too many directions Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely agree with that i uh like you said i thought visually i thought it was very uh good to look at i thought the cinematography was nice um once I adjusted to the dialogue in about two scenes, I really enjoyed uh the way they played with the rhyming and then just the structure of it. Um I having seen now two Spike Lee movies, I definitely don't <laughs> I, I really I don't think, think this stacks up to do the right well, thing. Well, no, listen, I think really yeah. if you want to see something that's comparable, there's two other movies that you could watch that would kind of be on one would be the opposite end of the spectrum, Malcolm okay. X, right? Obviously see that. But yeah. Um, look at a school days, which I thought was very similar to what this was okay. uh, school days musical, but it, it still kind of falls into the same kind of category. Okay. I would, did, really you, did you guys ever see, did you guys ever see inside man? No. So that's inside man is Spike Lee doing like a bank heist movie. It's hmm. super like, it's really interesting. It's like, I, I want to say Denzel Washington's the main character. It's like, and it's not nearly as politically charged as most of the things that Spike Lee does, mm-hmm. but it is. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Okay. Interestingly, the cinematographer on this, you like the cinematography, Matthew yeah, yeah. Uh, Labatique. Um, he works with Darren Aronofsky a lot. He did Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, and Black Swan. Oh wow! In that, so um, for people that are wondering why the cinematography is fantastic, yes, there's a reason why. Yeah. Um, you guys, any final thoughts, things you want to cover over Shy Rack? There's not, you know, un- unfortunately, there's not a lot of information about production. Yeah. That's readily out there unless you're reading through a lot of archives of Chicago papers. Um, so that's somewhat disappointing. There's just more interviews about 
why are you approaching this subject matter, but nothing mm-hmm. really about the actors, what they had to go through, what the production had to go through, anything like that. That was that I that I found. Yeah. Um, but um, but it's, it's it's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very good, Rodrigo. Thank you so much for being on the show again this week. Oh, my pleasure. We hope that you're back again soon. Next week. Uh, I think we might be heading to the theaters because the yeah, Coen Brothers movie is mm-hmm. coming out. If uh, our what theater is, is going to get it, it, you know what? I already checked. Oh, they already wait. have it up. We're we're actually not owned by a yeah subpar company anymore. AMC. Actually, we're owned by well, AMC. So yeah, well, well, there you, you know, go. Issues. Somebody actually reached out today and said, "Oh, I just heard your episode about how AMC ruined Christmas. Oh, I feel so bad for it. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Uh, yeah. So next week we will be doing the new Coen Brothers movie. Was Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar. Uh, looking forward to that. In the meantime, head over to MajorSpoilers.com. Find so much news and comic reviews and podcasts to fill your days before the next week's episode of Zach on Film. While you're there, click on that Amazon.com link. And uh, Rodrigo, do you have any suggestions what anyone should buy over at Amazon.com? Uh, yeah, I would suggest that you buy a little book called The Tale of Tallest Rabbit. Uh, it is by uh, Rodrigo Lopez, who is me. I'm the author. I wrote it. And I think it's very enjoyable. Fun for the whole family. There you go. Head over to Amazon. Buy that. Use the Amazon.com link at Majorspoilers.com. That book will not cost you any extra. It'll be the same exact price, but a little bit. Actually, Amazon keeps lowering the price. It's like $3 off right now. So What a steal. Yeah. Yeah. Type type like the wind. Buy it now. Uh, Help Major Spoilers support Rodrigo. Everyone wins. Uh, So next week, we will be talking Hail Caesar on Zach on Film. is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Summer camp is a magic place where kids discover who they are because they have the freedom to explore on their own. Why Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is a sleepaway camp in the heart of Idaho's wilderness. Each summer, campers make friends, build new skills, and learn to love the outdoors through activities like canoeing, archery, zip lining, rock climbing, campfires, and more. Registration for Why Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is open. Financial assistance is available. Learn more at whycampidaho.org. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.